What does a tent peg, a loaf of bread, and an eyeball have to do with the book of Judges? Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith. This is Brandon. We are pastors at Gospel Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. Welcome. Hope you guys are going to enjoy today's episode. I want to remind you guys before we get into it to like, subscribe on Facebook, Instagram, social media, wherever you can find us, uh, hit that like. And if you liked the videos, comment and uh, let us know uh, if you guys have any questions that you guys want us to address on this show. So, um, wow, what is in your face right now? This is uh, an eyeball here. This is is how I entertain my children. Fair. It's... I think this is or terrify why, your children. No, they love it. They yeah, love it. This is it. this is why as dads, your sense of humor goes way down really fast because <laughs> your audience is is people with like they're the easiest to make laugh in the whole world. So you can do anything <laughs> stupid, and so yeah, the dad jokes. It's a real thing. The struggle is real for sure. Fair. But uh, but I'm excited to talk about judges. It's a wacky, weird book. It is, and we're gonna we're gonna dig into it. It's gonna be, be wonderful. Um, we will have some props in this episode. It's gonna be great. So. Um, hence the eyeball. Can yeah, guess don't, what don't, judge, get used, don't get used to it. Yeah, we're not super big fan uh, of uh, props, but today we're fans of props. Yeah, that's true. Can you well, guess what the eyeballs would judge that goes to? Huh? Huh? We'll get there. Don't worry. Okay, let's okay. review. We'll I re- can. Well, you brought the prop. Oh yeah, it's just true. Jeez, Louise. Okay. Um, Joshua. That was the last book we went through. This is the next book in the Old Sorry. Testament. Uh, what's the book of Joshua all about? And bring us up to the point now in the book of Judges. So Joshua took over from the ministry of Moses, mm-hmm. leading them into the promised land. Yep. Uh, they conquer, and they are successful, kind of. They don't drive out all the people, though, so there's still work to be done. Mm-hmm. They have to drive out these nations if they want to be faithful to God. That's part of their, their mission. Right. And so... Um, Joshua, at the end of the book, charges the Israelites to be faithful to God, to follow God's commandments. They say, we'll, we'll do this. And God says, you're not able to do this. Right. You don't have the ability to do this. Mm-hmm. And this, the book of Judges is really Joshua's I told you so moment. Right. Yep, the proof is in the pudding. That they're, yeah, they're not going to follow him. They're going to fail spectacularly, and that's what Judges is all about. It's a very entertaining book. I love Judges. Yes, it's very entertaining, very disturbing, I would say. Um, it gets a little bit over the top at the end, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And uh, so why why is it called the Book of Judges? Why is it called Judges? So the judges were the leaders of Israel at this time. So after Moses, after Joshua, God appointed regional leaders mm-hmm. over certain areas of, of Israel. So these oh. aren't, aren't leaders that rule over the entire nation. Right. They don't have any dynasties. They don't pass on their rule. But they are temporary leaders for a season, um, and they're primarily military leaders. Right, it's kind of like... Um, you know, mob boss thugs or something like that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, mob <laughs> bosses. That makes sense. But it's like kind of sanctified. Well, they're not sanctified at all, but they're kind of supposed to be. They're supposed to be. Yeah, God's, God's guys. Sometimes there's sparks of like hope, but yeah, there are it, some it, bright moments. It, it quickly gets snuffed out by sin. Yes. Yeah. By an avalanche of sin. Avalanche. Yes. Meteor from a world-ending, uh, earth-shattering meteor, kind of sin. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So. Uh, always helpful to look at the uh, bigger organization of the book, how it's how it's laid out um, by the writer. So, how is this book organized? So, yeah, so it's actually really simple. So, chapter one all the way to chapter three, verse six, is all um, sort of the intro to the book. Hmm. It's it's sort of the I call it get ready for things to get bad, right? Because it's warning you this mm-hmm. is going to get bad. In chapter three, verse seven, all the way to the end of chapter sixteen. 
this is the downward spiral. Mm. So this is all the judges, are, uh, their stories are told in this section. And I call this, things are really bad. <laughs> this things, is when yes. things are bad. And then the final section is from chapter um, 17 all the way to the end, at 21. And I, this is the really hitting rock bottom. And so I call this, things just got a lot worse. So. You know, and this is so depressing. When, you, when you're reading through the Bible and you, you start in the beginning of creation where everything's good and then it falls, you're like, oh, shoot. But God has a plan. Through the seed of the woman, there's going to be you know, the, the Savior of the world and the Savior, the defeat, the destruction of sins coming. Yeah. And then we have this people, Israel, that are, that are supposed to be God's people who are obedient and love Him and they just fail and fail and time again. God's going to bring them to a promised land. And they finally made it to the promised land. That's how we ended the book of Joshua, right? They, yeah. they made it. The land's divvied up. Okay, here we go. And then just utter destruction. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so sad. Like if you're yeah. following the, the bigger story, you know? Exactly. And sort of a, a key phrase in the book of, of Judges is this phrase, which is actually also the last phrase of the book. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Right. So this refrain is heard. Really, from chapter seventeen on, it's heard a little bit in the story of, of Samson too. But um, that the problem is there's no there's no king, there's no leadership, there's no one that can can um, follow after God's heart right. that can fulfill the law as they should and lead the people into that. So that's sort of that's sort of the theme of the book of Judges. Yeah, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and there's no king. Crazy. Right. No right. um Well, let's uh, let's 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 look at the first thing. Things are going to get bad. And um, let's kind of dig in chapter one. Yeah, so things are things are going to get bad. That's what the first section tells us. So in chapter one, we see that there's nations that are not yet conquered, mm-hmm. and this is bad, that they haven't fulfilled the, the command of God, and they're not going to fulfill it for a very long time. And so we see that things are, are going to get worse. We see that the angel of the Lord actually appears to Israel in chapter two to tell them basically, he, he says, you know, um, uh, he says, I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Right. What is this that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So because they weren't obedient, things will get worse and worse for Israel. Right. And that's what we're going to see. So it's setting up for that. And then we see in, in uh, chapter 2, verses 16 and following, there's the cycle that's happening in the book of, of Judges. Yeah, I think that's really key. And, and you can't read it without seeing this, the same cycle. Yes, you so. have to know this, right? And the cycle is God raises up a judge. The judge de- de- delivers Israel. There's peace. The judge dies. Israel turns away from God and follows other gods. So God punishes Israel. They repent. They cry out to the Lord. And God raises up a new judge. Right. So that's this cycle again and again and again. And really, it, that cycle is crucial in understanding the book. But you have to know it's not just a cycle that's just around and around. It's actually like a downward spiral mm. into chaos and right. destruction. So yeah. it gets worse and worse every time as that cycle is repeated. So, so that's the first section, very right. simply. Things will get bad. And then the second section is things are really bad. <laughs> so that it starts with uh, Deborah... Well, there's a couple of different judges, but we'll, we'll focus on Deborah and Barak, which is sort of the, the first main characters here. Right. So Deborah, um, Deborah is the, the judge, and Barak is supposed to be the leader of the army of Israel. But well, hold on, we can't mention, you know, um, Shamgar, Oxgoad, killed 600 Philistines. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And Ehud, too. Ehud is a cool story. True. We're just limited on time. Okay, fine. Let's keep going. Ehud kills the fat guy. It's sort of yeah, so poop and poop everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's 
It's a good story, but um, <laughs> okay, Deborah, which I also like quite a bit as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. De- yeah Deborah. So Deborah and Barack. Barack is supposed to lead the army, but he's too cowardly to lead the army, and he says, "I won't go, Deborah, unless you go with me." Right. You're a big, strong woman. You'll protect me. And Deborah basically shames him and says, "Because you are too much of a coward to go without me as a woman, mm-hmm. the glory will be given to a woman." Right. So God does deliver them, gives victory. And uh, but we see that God's leaders, there's some flaws here. There's some there's some problems here. Not nothing like crazy major as it is later, but we're starting to see some of that. And then um, Sisera, the enemy of the Israelites, meets his doom. Uh, how so? How so? Well, he meets his doom at the hand of a woman, which is you know part of what's yeah, supposed to happen. Here, yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, so anybody who reads the Old Testament and doesn't think women have any kind of power, shoot, this is the beginning of the Old Testament. So, <laughs> okay, so Sisera flees into a uh, uh, under the care of this uh, woman named Jael or Yahel. I don't know how you say it. Whatever. I can't. I don't speak Hebrew. So. Jael sounds great to me. Jael. In fact, I named uh, my second daughter's middle name is Jael. And Sisera goes uh, for a little nap in this woman's tent. And lo and behold, this woman decides to side with the people of Israel and shoves a tent peg through Cicero's head. Where's my tent peg? Oh, yeah. Oh, look at that tent peg. Oh, it's giant and amazing. That is... Uh, Hold on, watch your face quite here. Quite a large, yeah. This is, we wanted to go with realism here. This is probably more what the tent peg looked like. Could you imagine I this? I don't know if it's that big. That Can seems you, pretty big. I mean, it has to go through Cicero, which I assume was maybe a little fat. I don't how, know. How, I mean, I don't, through his head? Well, it had to go in through the ground, too, right? I know, but that's like I think that's like two feet of overkill. I think the longer is better too, because you could sneak up on him. You know. Either way, this is major overkill. Yeah, she strikes the peg through his head all the way into the ground. It's it's great. He is very. He's quite dead. Oh, super dead. Yeah, he's he's very dead. So yeah. So, but the big idea is um, God's leaders. There's there's problems here. The men are cowardly. They won't lead mm-hmm. in battle, and so God gives glory to a woman. Right. And so we see some some issues here, but you know things aren't too bad. Chapter 6 comes along, and we get this guy named Gideon. Oh. So the Midianites in this story are oppressing Israel. Right. Um, and Gideon is, is, is bravely hiding, right? <laughs> he's bravely hiding. He's like, he's like Sir Robin in the, the uh, Holy Grail, if you know that, if you know that classic movie. But, um, it sa- so it says in verse 16 of chapter 6, it says, or sorry, verse 16, verse 11, it says that the, the Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press <laughs> to hide it from the Midianites. So he's he's taking care of his um, of his crops, right? And he's and he's getting rid of the, you know, he's getting the, the wheat out of the the whole stock and he's doing it in hiding. So right. he's hiding in the wine press. He's trying to do it in somewhere. It's it must be hard to do in that kind of setting, but he's doing it so he won't be seen by the Midianites. And then when God appears to him, um, he says, the angel of the Lord says to him, "The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor." <laughs> Definitely some some sarcasm there, uh, because nothing about Gideon is really that brave, um, and and often he's he's kind of held up as a as a very brave man. I don't I don't really get that, but so he he kind of has this you know back and forth with God. God tells him verse sixteen, "I'll be with you." Mm-hmm. That's how you're going to conquer the the Midianites, and so uh, he he obeys God. He goes and tears down this this idol. But he does it at night. So mm-hmm. we see in verse 27. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So Gideon is afraid. He's he's cowardly. And 
he's given more commands. Okay, okay now God, you know, keep following God. But mm-hmm. Gideon wants assurance that he's going to be saved, so he brings out the fleece. Right, he does this whole trick with the fleece of it's wet one day, it's dry, you know. Right. And he asks God for a, a miraculous sign, and God gives it to him. God's very patient with him. He doesn't have to do this, but Gideon wants any reason to not follow God's commands. Right. And and he he doesn't have any excuse. So what he does is he recruits an army in chapter seven. Now this is just such a great story. Chapter seven is such a great story. So what happens is he gets, um, he gets I believe thirty two thousand. Uh, soldiers, right? And what God says in verse 2 of chapter 7 is very strange. He says, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. <laughs> Lest Israel boast over me, saying, by my own hand, or my own hand has saved me. I see. So I, I don't want you to have this many people because the glory would then go to right. you. I want you to know the glory is, is all mine. Right. It's, it goes to God. So what he does is he says, tell the people, whoever's afraid can go home. If you want to go home, if you're afraid, you can go home. Now, I'm sure Gideon was like, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. But, but Gideon stays. <laughs> 22,000 people leave, 10,000 remain. So now you have, you have the strongest core left, right? Um, 10,000 men who are not afraid. Right. That's good. But there's also a, a different demographic in that group, which are people that are completely nuts. Right? So they're not afraid or they're just nuts. And so what he does is he says... Verse 4, the people are still too many. You've lost two-thirds of your army. There's still too many. Right. So have them go to the water and have them drink and watch how they drink. This is a very misunderstood passage. <laughs> this is a very misunderstood passage. Listen to what he says uh, in verse 5. He says, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. So if you can picture this, right? Kneeling down to drink would be you're kneeling, you're taking the water, right? Lapping, though, is a very specific act, and he compares it to a dog. So how does a dog drink? Think of how a dog drinks. So this is a person who's reaching out and getting the water, but then they're lapping it like a dog. Right. This is a person who's not quite well, <laughs> in, my, in my opinion. Okay, I'm <laughs> open to another opinion on that, but that seems like a crazy thing to do. And then, so what do you Man, think? I kind of do that all the time when I... You know, just the faucet, you just lap it up, you know? <laughs> so so who do you think God's going to keep? He's going to keep the ones that are strong and have it kind of together, or he's going to keep these wacky dudes? Well, the, what he does and what he should do. Or yeah, what he should do is get rid of these guys that are lapping, because that's uh, abnormal. But instead, there are 300 men of the 10,000 who lap like dogs. And God says, uh, verse 7, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you. And give the Midianites into your hand. Let everyone else go home. <laughs> so God's, God takes the best of his army and leaves him with 300. And mm-hmm. I think what I, what I heard growing up was the 300 that God keeps are the ones who are the most alert. They're the ones who were looking around while they drank and stuff. That's not what it says. Right. That's not what it says. It Nor says they laugh the idea like of what dogs. God's trying to do. Yeah. yeah it, so it's like God's only going to use the best of the best. So you better be the best, you know, kind of a thing. No, God's using people that are completely unexpected. Right. That's what this is showing us. God's going to save with the most pitiful force that's ever been assembled. And in fact, you know, Gideon knows this, so he doesn't really trust he's going he's gonna to win. Mm-hmm. So in, ver- in verse uh, 9, he sneaks into the enemy camp at night, and he providentially overhears a conversation between some of the guards. And, and in verse 13, it says, 
when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down. <laughs> so the tent lay flat. And the comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. So I have my loaf of bread here. <laughs> so if you can imagine, right, the dream is the, the bread rolls downhill, hits the tent, and the tent is flipped over and then flattened. <laughs> it's, it's a ridiculous dream. And the picture is something very weak and, and unassuming right. is completely decimating something that was standing firm. Right. Um, so the, the picture is clear. What, what he's saying is, oh, this loaf of bread, this really weak thing is Gideon. Right, Gideon is going to do something that's completely unexpected because he's just a he's just a loaf of bread. No one wants to be compared to a <laughs> loaf of bread, but that's kind of the picture, right? And so he has confidence. Right? I'm sure he feels a little bit his ego is kind of wounded. I would assume, but you know. Anyway, so God's going to save them though, and Gideon doesn't even equip them with weapons. He gives them trumpets, he gives them pots, and he yeah, gives pots. them torches. Right? <laughs> like, these guys, maybe these guys are crazy. They're going to start stabbing each other. Yeah, I kind of get I. I kind of get the torches. It's nighttime. Whatever you can yeah. do, things fire. I, I even, you know, I, I just don't get the clay pots. You yeah, know? <laughs> I just don't get it. I get the trumpets. You're going to battle or whatever. <laughs> My <laughs> professor Abner Chow was like, "These are the band kids. You know, the band <laughs> kids are going to battle. Right? They give them the instruments. I, maybe that's true, right? So he gives them trumpets, and they have this weird plan, which is smash the pots, light the torches, blow the trumpets, and." chaos will ensue is mm-hmm. the hope, right? And so that's what happens is verse 22, when they blow, blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. So all the people mm. with weapons were fighting against each other in the camp. They thought they had been ambushed. They're terrified. And so they end up panicked and they, they kill each other. They run, all that sort of stuff. So the, the army's defeated without Gideon and his army fighting at all. Right. So you can see, I mean, you see the, the cowardice of Gideon, some of the challenges, but Gideon is obeying God until we get to chapter 8. In chapter 8, we have a real problem, which is that Gideon creates an ephod, which is a, a garment worn by priests. He sets it up as an idol, basically. Yep. He sets up this idol and becomes a snare to Israel for a very long time. Um, Gideon is engaging in idolatry. This is really, really bad. Yep. So Gideon does not end well. And after him, his his son Abimelech tries to take over and be king. Right. So in nine, we see Abimelech as this oppressive king who who kills his brothers to take over, and he forges this alliance. But the big idea of this chapter is that um, appointing a king in this sense ends up very bad for Israel. And there's going to need when there when there is a king, it's going to have to be the right kind of king. Mm-hmm. So Abimelech is is not. He's not that guy, right? And so the, the importance of the king is very important. It's very clear in this chapter. It's so it's so crazy because you get so close. Like there's like we were talking earlier. There's glimpses of hope and there's glimpses of good things, but it always fails again yeah. and again, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so then we have the story of Jephthah in mm-hmm. chapter eleven. Jephthah is famous for making this this rash vow in verses thirty and thirty one. He swears essentially that if God gives him victory. Whatever's the first thing to walk out of his house when he comes home, Daughter, yeah. he'll he'll sacrifice it. And so people wonder why he did this. I mean, it's very possible that back then they had animals and stuff living in their home, mm-hmm. right? Like they would keep kind of them penned up in the, in their house. 
So maybe he was thinking a, a dog, a, a, a farm animal or something like that comes out. It seems pretty risky, though. I Yeah, it does seem very risky and stupid. And so when he comes home and he has victory, his daughter comes out to greet him. And so he... There's debate here as to whether he sacrificed her or he devoted her to the Lord. But definitely the implication seems to be that he was originally promising to kill her right. and burn her. So and if that's the case, I mean, this either way, this is very, very bad. This is a real problem. So Jephthah... Yeah, is God doesn't condone down. the sacrifice of your kids, right? No. Yeah. Or the killing. I know that's surprising. Yeah. Yeah, God in, in general, I would say ever, doesn't... <laughs> have his people do such things. <laughs> That's right. Why would Jeff right. think this is a good thing? Absolutely. <laughs> so and then we get to Samson, who is the the ultimate, right? He's the, the final judge in this in this story. Probably the most famous one. Yeah, yeah and, and and for good reason. I mean, Jeff Samson is very interesting. And really, um, the story of Samson starts out with lots of promise. Mm-hmm. Right? He's born in a miraculous way to a woman who's barren, an angel appears to her, says she's gonna have a child. And that child's going to be a Nazarite from the womb. So we've seen this back in Numbers, this Nazarite vow. Remember that that's a vow that you don't have any wine. You don't even touch grapes or, or vines or anything related to wine. Yeah. You don't touch dead bodies, yep. anything unclean, and you don't cut your hair ever. So he's a Nazarite for life. This is his vow. This is a way he's going to... Uh, really, I mean, it, de- it depicts or reminds me of the fact that Israel has been called to be holy. Right. right. Israel's been called as a holy nation, and their strength, in a real sense, lies in their obedience to God. We've seen mm-hmm. that as a theme. So Samson is a picture of that. And he's, he has to follow God in these ways to show his devotion to God. But, of course, Samson, as a representation of the entire nation, fails horribly. And really, it's it's through his his eyes. right? That's what we, we see in the story. That's why we brought up the eye, because... Samson's eye is bad. He's looking at all the wrong things. So we see in chapter 14, he sees one of the daughters of the Philistines, verse 1, he saw, right. and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. I want her for a wife. Mm-hmm. And they say, you can't do this. I mean, your whole mission is to defeat the Philistines, and now you want to get in bed with them, literally. Right. This is a big problem. And he says, big statement, right, in verse 3, he says to his father, get her for me. For she is right in my eyes. Yep, there it is. So Samson doesn't care. He, and that refrain is what's going to become the refrain for the rest of the book. That there was no king in Israel. Everyone was right in their own eyes. So Samson is, as the leader of Israel, he's drawing them further into that sin hmm. of following their own desires. Right. So what he sees, he wants, he gets, and that determines everything about Samson's life. Hmm. So, and but verse four says it was actually this was actually God's working through this. God was using this as an opportunity against the Philistines. Right. So what happens is everything that Samson does, um, he keeps trying to make peace with the Philistines, but God leads him further and further into warfare. <laughs> so God still uses these. He has His providence is still working. So, for example, he tries to get married to this, this girl. The men at the wedding trick him mm-hmm. with his bet, and so he goes and he kills a bunch of Philistines right. to pay his debt, right? Uh, he takes their clothes to pay this, his debt. Then they marry his wife off to his best man because Samson ran away. Mm-hmm. So Samson comes back, wants his, his wife, and whoops, she's already married. Um, <laughs> so he burns their fields. And then because he burns their fields, they capture him, and he ends up killing a thousand of them with the jawbone of a donkey. Seems an appropriate reaction, right? It seems, yeah. Yeah, proportionate. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, 
But he's supposed to defeat these these Philistines anyway. So God is using his own sinful desires to accomplish his mission in a roundabout way. Right. But what we see, which is really concerning, is that throughout all of this, Samson is neglecting his Nazarite vow. Right. So in chapter 14, he's walking through vineyards in Timnah. He's walking through through the vineyards. That's that's a problem. I mean, if you're that's like a, a you know gluten free person walking through a wheat field or something. I don't know. He, he touches dead things. Can you right? can you touch gluten if you're? I think you can't touch it. it, it but. Depends on the person and the uh, severity. I don't, of their, I don't know. Yeah, a celiac person walking through a gluten yeah, exactly. mine or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but and then he and not only does that right, which is a huge problem to make him unclean if he touched even a leaf of a, of a vine. He also is touching. Animals, right? Touching right. carcasses. So he sees a a lion with honey inside of it, right? Mm-hmm. The, the bees had made honey inside the lion, and he's scooping it out with his hand and eating it as he walks along and giving it to his parents, right? Like that was ceremonially unclean. It's it's also gross, right? But it's but more importantly, it's unclean. So he's broken two parts of his vows. When he gets to the story of of Delilah, he's going to break that third part of his vow, right? So in chapter fifteen, we. We see, um, oh, sorry, chapter 16, he sees a prostitute, verse 1, um, goes in with her, is almost captured by the Philistines, and then he loves a, a woman of Sorek whose name is Delilah, very famous love affair, really she's a terrible person, um, <laughs> keeps trying to ask the secret of his strength, and in verse 16, it says, when, when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Delilah is really a picture of uh, the fact that Samson's been caving into temptation over and over again, right? And eventually, you just willingly walk into death. Right. It's a really sad thing. But so he gives up his secret, and the punishment that he receives after he's captured by the Philistines is they take out his eyes. So that the punishment really, in a sense, fits the crime in the sense that yeah. he's been led around by his eyes. So in verse twenty-one, he he loses his eyes, and then he's gonna in the last part of his life, the final act of his life. He's going to ask God for revenge because of his eyes. Right. So Samson, Samson ends up in this room with the Philistine leaders, um, big party, and they come bring him out to mock him, and, and God gives him strength one last time to push over the pillars mm, to take him. take his enemies down with them. I think it's really interesting. Like again, we haven't even gotten you know quite to the bad, but things are pretty bad right now, and. You know, this is God's. These are God's people, right? These are God's chosen people. They're supposed to be lights in the world, and they're just horrible people, right? Yeah. Yep. And it's like, but it, it, I think it is showing God's faithfulness, right? So it's a big thing. The other thing we see in this book is that God's faithfulness is better than man's faithfulness to Him, right? So God is committed to making these His people and committed to you know uh, blessing them at yeah. some point. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. God's yeah. going to be faithful, and He's using even Samson to accomplish that. Right. Um, Samson is just all about his own pride. Right? Even right. that last moment, he's like, "Give me, give me revenge," because they took out my eyes. Right. Instead of I want exactly. to accomplish your mission, but God is able to defeat these evil overlords mm-hmm. that are are oppressing Israel. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's hit chapter seventeen. So chapter seventeen begins that final section, which is. We've seen, you know, things are going to get bad. We've seen things are really bad. Mm-hmm. And now things get even worse. Right. So chapter 17, it's kind of a weird story. Maybe you didn't follow very well the end of this book. It gets a little harder to follow. But basically what happens is we see this the refrain again in chapter 17, right? In those days, verse 6, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
And what happens in this story is there's a man named Micah who's worshiping false gods. Mm -hmm. He finds a Levite, so someone from the tribe of Levi. This was the priestly Priestly class. And he hires him, right? He he says, you know, come and and work for me and uh, I'll take care of you. And so the man does. And he's he's sort of a hired gun. This is not how the priestly class was supposed to operate. They're supposed to serve God at the temple, not just work for whoever and and help them worship false gods. Right. This is a huge problem. So the Danites, so the tribe of Dan, is they haven't conquered their land. They're looking for a place to, to land. And they come across Micah and his family, and they basically decide to rob Micah of his gods and to take this Levite with them. So come with us. It's better to serve you know, a whole tribe than to serve one family. So the, the man happily goes, right? In verse 20, the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods, helps them rob his, his master, and goes and, and serves them. And he, and he lives happily ever after. Um, so it's a pretty, pretty sad story. But the key to all of this story is in verse 30 of chapter 18. This is really the whole point of this story, which is it says, And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So, in other words, who was this unnamed Levite that we've been hearing about this whole time? Mm-hmm. It's Moses' grandson. Right. Moses' grandson is the one who is engaging in false worship. It's, it's an absolute shock to see how low they've come that Moses' family and his descendants are engaging in this kind of behavior. Right. But that's, that's what we see. So things are, are so bad. They're getting worse and worse. But wait. <laughs> but wait. They get worse, right? <laughs> um, and that's chapter 19, which is really... I, it's, I mean, it's one of the low points for Israel in the entire Old Testament. Right. Chapter 19 is meant to be reminiscent of Genesis 19, mm-hmm. of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It, it really has tons of parallels, right? Right. This man goes into the city with his concubine, just like the angels went into the city of Sodom, and the people of the city demand to have sex with the, the man. Right. Right. And he instead sends out his concubine, and they, and they rape her and eventually, I mean, kill her. Right. So she's, I mean, she's, she's, beaten to a pulp and he and she ends up dying and so the man decides to take her body cut it up send it to different parts of of the uh, to different tribes and he starts a civil war right this action this evil action by the men of the city start a civil war yeah. now keep in mind important things the mentions here of of Bethlehem in this story and Gibeah so Gibeah is where this this tragedy takes place Bethlehem is the origin of this man so Bethlehem and Gibeah are going to be important because Saul comes from Gibeah mm-hmm. and David will come from Bethlehem. Right. So this is an important, it's sort of foreshadowing some things about those kings. Um, but yeah, but the big idea is Israel has become incredibly wicked like Sodom. Yeah, like like the people that they're supposed to drive out, they've become like them, right? Yeah. They've become sexually, sexually immoral. They've killed off their children. Like, they're no different than the world. How yep. sad of a story is this? Yeah. And in chapter 20, we see the civil war start out. Benjamin is is fighting against the rest of the tribes. They end up losing so badly, they've almost been completely exterminated. Right. They have to provide wives from them by force um, <laughs> from from Shiloh. So there's these 
it's, it's an awful ending, and really the story ends with Israel battered and bloody. They've been disobedient to God, and they've paid the price. Right. They paid the price for it. And the, the final phrase, that final sort of dismal phrase, but there's some hope in it, is in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Right. So Israel has followed the footsteps of his leaders like Samson by following after their eyes. But there's going to be a king that will come someday. So the reason why things are so bad is because the king is not there, a right. king after God's own heart. Right. And so that sets up perfectly for the book of Ruth, which follows after. Yeah, and we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. But before we get there, let's see how the New Testament connects with this book of Judges, this horrible, bloody, broken, sinful book. How is there any hope or goodness in God's plan of redemption through it? Yeah, so obviously amidst all these heroes, um, really superheroes in some way, um, yeah. there's, they're not the heroes that we need. Yeah. We need a, a better hero. And so as cliche as it might sound, Jesus is that hero that we need. Mm-hmm. He's the one who can rescue us, not just from temporary circumstances, not just to fix something right here and right now, but who can overcome sin, right? By, right. by taking away the penalty of sin, by, by conquering death, he's the hero that we need. Right. He, he's, what, he's who changes what's inside of us so we can truly follow after God. Right. So that's just a basic point. The whole Bible shows us that. Right. But definitely this book. Well, I think even in the, you know, the whole idea of like these leaders, these judges, you know, ruling over that failed, like and at the end of the book, it says there's no king, like so there's a need for humans to have a right and true and good king, right? That's right. A sinless king, right? That's right. Yeah. So. And through all this story of Abimelech as well, there's a setting up for the kings of Israel are are not sufficient. There's a need for a, a true king, a good king that can bring peace and unity and rest, all these things mm. to the land right? and to, to show them what it means to follow after God. Even look at the parallels between Jesus and Samson, mm-hmm. right? The miraculous birth, um, this hopeful beginning, this angel appearing to, to prophesy this miraculous birth. Um, the, the temptations that, that Samson faces. I mean, Jesus is tempted in the same sort of ways, right? To follow after his, the lusts of his flesh, right? What, the food that, that's in front of him. Satan tempts him to turn, turn stones into bread or to, you know, to make all the kingdoms his right. or to throw himself all the, temp- the temple. All these things are about pride. They're about power. They're about lust. They're about his eyes, like what he sees and what he values. And Jesus resists all of that. Yeah, and then ends with a, a death too, right? A sacrifice. Yeah, so. and uh, yeah, absolutely. So Samson's, and even the way that Samson, uh, you know, ends his life is cruciform, right? right. He's he's put, pushing the out like this, and so a lot of commentators have mentioned that that that's an interesting thing. Right. Don't make too much of that, but Samson by dying by giving his life mm-hmm. saves the people through that action, right? And that's absolutely. You know, an important theme in the scripture, and it culminates in Jesus Himself. Yeah, Amen. Well, yeah, and like, yeah, big gospel point is God's the only one through His Son Jesus Christ and that sacrifice that can take away the brokenness of the human condition. the The theme that you know, you know, this this people Israel did not do what God wanted, but they did what was right in their own eyes, and they couldn't choose any other way. You know, right? Mm-hmm. Like Joshua predicted that, and so the only way for us to be able to be obedient to God, to love God, is through His Son. So That's right, man. So, well, I think that's all we got, right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week for a more hopeful episode because we're going to talk about the Book of Ruth and the coming King. We'll see you then.